there's a bias that any of us should have, it is a bias towards truth. Hello, and welcome to the interview. I'm Ada McLaughlin, the editor-in-chief of Mediaite. My guest this week is Kate Baldwin, the CNN anchor who now hosts At This Hour, the network's 11 a.m. program. Kate joined CNN 15 years ago, and when she was just 29 years old, she was named anchor of CNN morning show New Day, becoming the youngest host of a morning show on television. In the years since, she has interviewed presidents and reported from war zones. Now, as CNN faces radical changes under its new president, Chris Licht, a new parent company and an unsteady media landscape, I called up Kate to speak about her extraordinary career and what she makes of the new media world. Kate, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So you celebrated 15 years at CNN this August. How did that feel? Um, felt like, am I old or did I start when I was really young or a little bit of both? I think it's the latter. <laughs> I'm going to ask you um, it was, uh, it was really great to mark a milestone um, and to, I can't say I've done anything for 15 years straight, maybe except for like eating, sleeping and walking. Um, and it was, it's fun to celebrate, you know, like doing something this long and still loving to do it. It's been a, a wonderful realization that 15 years has really, really blown by. You had a pretty incredible rise at CNN. You were hired at, if I have this correct, at just 24 years old. And then you were named the anchor of New Day, the morning show, when you were just 29. What was it like to be in your 20s and to be named the anchor of your own show on CNN? The funny thing is, I remember when someone said that to me, or it might have actually been in an article written right after the announcement. And it was more a surprise that that's what people were focused on. Right. Um, to me than anything else, because uh, I've never I've never done anything just done, then just do the job, like how you progress and how quickly you move through any organization just is what it is. And um, I was I remember being very surprised that people were like, oh, and then some what was it I, for like a moment was like the youngest. Yeah. Morning show anchor or something like that. I was like, oh, really? Yep. That's a funny that's a funny title to hold, right. but okay, you know, okay, I'll take it, whatever. That just, you know, only adds to the pressure of performance, but I'll take it, I'll take <laughs> it. <laughs> did you feel a lot of pressure at the, at the start of your career because of your age, or did it all feel fairly natural? It all felt fa fairly natural. I, I got into the business, it, for me, it kind of felt, at least from my perspective, that I kind of fell into journalism. I always was a writer. Um, I actually went to college and wanted to study musical theater and then realized that maybe I didn't have such a great future in that. So, was it um, no, it was just, singing. you know, I'm a decent voice. Yeah. I mean, I have a decent okay. singing voice or did at least, but, um, you know, then had a conversation with my father where he begged me to do something in his view that would have a, a better chance of career success was the conversation mm. I recall having. Uh, and then I, my, one of my academic advisors in college was a former journalist, someone who's a good friend of mine still, Mark Feldstein. And Mark suggested, you know, he's like, you're, you like to write and you've got a deep voice. Why don't you try broadcasting? And so <laughs> that's kind of how it started. And then I felt after through internships, I fell in love with the asking of questions and demanding of answers and the process of getting a story and telling people's stories. Um, and so I kind of, I kind of fell into it. And so it was just kind of like off to the races from there, a little bit of luck, a lot of hard work and 
open, a lot of people opening doors. And so you did a, a couple of internships. You were at NBC News, right, for, for an internship? I almost worked through the entire organization, like through the entire <laughs> building in D.C. I started, my first internship was at Dateline NBC. And then I, I believe the progression was then I did local, then I um, interned at WRC, the local news, NBC local news, and then met one of the most amazing reporters on the planet, Pat Collins, who um, let me follow him around. He's a icon um, in local news. And then I interned, uh, I was the first in, first intern for Pete Williams and worked for with his producer, Mike wow. Cosner, who is a long time dear friend of mine still. Um, and I kind of, we created my own internship just because I really loved Pete's work and wanted to follow him around and do work for him. And then I was, a, then my first paying job was a desk assistant, um, which was uh, really awesome because one of my jobs was getting, uh, setting out Tim Russert's papers in the morning, which wow. um, was a really cool thing. I botched the interview. I actually, probably, I don't know if I've ever <laughs> told anybody. I go into an interview with, with Tim Russert and at the end of it, he asks me if I'm a football fan. And I'm like, yes, I'm from Indiana. Of course I love of course. football. Yeah. And he says, who's your team? I'm like, well, I'm, again, I'm from Indiana thinking I'm so smart. I'm like the Colts. He was like, you do know, like, you're not going to get the job now. Like you've got to be a Bills <laughs> fan. And I was like, what? No, but he was, <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> I'm glad. You like a lot of, of anchors. You, you actually got your start in, in local news. How did you get that first job? Did you just decide local news is, is how to do this, is how to get into sort of national broadcasting? I didn't see any other way for me. I guess that feeds into like, that was my age realization is I need to form relationships. I need to learn how to be a reporter. Um, and that was my path. So while I was working at NBC, uh, I put together, it was over a hundred tapes, still VHS at the time, and uh, sent that to a bunch of different markets, two called back. Columbia, South Carolina, and Raleigh, North Carolina, Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, and um, went down and those wonderful people at WTVD decided to give me a chance. And so I moved down there in a hot second, and that's where I started. Do you think local news is a good experience for people that want to get into news broadcasting? My view on this may be like, quote unquote, aged and old at this point. I don't know. But I truly do think local news has it's not only a critical piece of every community because you really, really report on things that affect in an immediate way, the people in your viewing area. Like it's, so, there's such a deeper connection between you and your viewers than I would even say on an, an, you know, on any national network level because they're in your community. I also, um, as I've given advice to, um, younger journalists many times, I've said, wouldn't you like to make your mistakes when the pressure of a live shot is a lot less and there are a lot fewer <laughs> eyeballs on you than at a network level? I mean, my first live shot, I will never forget it completely blue. Yeah. And I still had, I mean, it's not like you would not have a job the next day at CNN, but I, you know, but it's a good stakes way to, higher. stakes are higher. It's a good way to, you know, learn the biz, learn yourself and to become a better reporter. I mean, how do you get people to speak to you? How do you get police to speak to you? How do you learn how to do a FOIA request? I mean, all the things you like really need to learn how to do and do quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I see true value 
um, no matter what your end goal is uh, in TV and local news. You noted that you're from Indiana. I think like the media gets a lot of criticism for having coastal biases, but if you started in local news, that can help inform your coverage a lot better. Do you, do you find that that was helpful to sort of, you know, not only where you're from, but where you've worked was helpful for your work at CNN? 100%. I have actually, um, I've, I've talked about it often with my bosses, various bosses, about how my gut check still to this day is always going home um, to Indiana. My father and his hunting buddies are kind of like my, they're, I mean, they're kind of, they've been my like surrogate fathers for my entire life. And my father and his hunting buddies are kind of part of my gut check of just like, what do you guys hear and see? What do you think of this story? I mean, you know, Donald Trump was a really interesting conversation with some of with some of these guys um, after during after the 2016 election and into 2020. Mm. Uh, it's a really important gut check about like what people care about. And it was it's been it's been part of kind of like my uh, North Star always is getting back and and getting that kind of like on the ground gut check once again. Right. It's almost like a sounding board to see what what people are thinking, because I feel like huh. so, so much, you know, I live in New York. And, and it's very rare that you meet people with differing opinions from what most people in New York believe. You know, it's, it's kind of it's a homogenous ideologically. And it must be interesting to get back out to a place like Indiana and, and see what people are thinking outside of New York. Well, yeah. And also, I mean, when if you ask a lot of people um, who might grow up in the coast, like you say, like Indiana, they're like, huh, the flyover states. Right. Like, we're not flyover. We are not flyover states. It's a wonderful state with wonderful education and wonderful people. Um, and yeah, and it's it, there needs you know I I'm I'm pro Hoosier. You're not gonna hear me say anything against a Hoosier. And I think you know there should be more Hoosiers on TV. I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> Hoosier representation. All right. <laughs> now, when you were on New Day, the morning show. I read, I think, in a profile that you woke up at 2 a.m. in the morning to make it into the office and to prepare for the show. Was that schedule hard to do? Brutal. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I'm serious. So I ended up getting better about it okay. uh, in terms of my prep. So I ended up waking up at 2.45 in the morning. Um, but there's, it's not a human time to wake up. Mm. No, I mean, all of my fellow morning anchors um would agree that it's just it's it's very you do you it's really hard to adjust your schedule so it was 245 up sprint to the finish and then you kind of have the choice of like what you do after some people nap some people don't i never napped and so i had i was just had a hard lights out for kate at 8 30 every night so i was a i had a raging social life (laughs) (laughs) and now you host at 11 a.m which is a little bit more forgiving or considerably more forgiving. So how at this point, how do you prepare for your show now? It's all day. I mean, from if you want to go from from morning, I, I think it's funny to wake up at like an odd time. It's mm. this funny thing. So I wake up at 4.50 every morning because I think <laughs> who who else wakes up at 4.50? Sure. Why, that is strange. Rarefied air. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a weirdo. And so I'm going to wake up at 4.50. So I wake up at 4.50. Um, and I, it's now you know, now I have two kids. So it's actually a wonderful period of time where I can do my prep with a silent house. Mm. Um, so I, so, um, it's a lot of like waking up and first checking emails of what did I miss while I was sleeping? How did the rundown, how, how has the rundown changed since we kind of put our skeleton rundown together last night? 
And then it's it, by 5.30, it's texting with my producer and my EP on what guests we've got to change, what guests we need to book, how we need to, re- how we need to you know, change things up. And again, it's basically that process. We go through like three different rundowns almost every day before the one that's actually set that happens on TV. It's this fun and quirky thing about this time of, the, of this, the time slot of the show. It's where so much breaking news happens. Right. More often than not, I'm throwing out a rundown for at least half the show and ad-libbing. Like it is a really breaking news, good and bad breaking news breaks often. Mm. in our in our show a lot of presidential movements presidents are very active around 11 um and a lot of crazy things happen around that time so that's you know once that once the show then it's 11 to 12 you know magic hour and then after that it's our best guess of what i can prep you know long-term pursuits that i'm working on in terms of bookings and longer um other projects i'm working on and then i um you know at some point head home (laughs) It's a very interesting hour because you've got the, you know, the morning shows. I feel like you're, the anchor spends so much time just really catching up with everything that's happened. And, you know, now if you're anchoring at 11 a.m., you've got the stuff that happened in the morning and then you have all the breaking news that happens once, you know, 9 a.m. starts and there's more news flooding through as people start their work days. Is that, is it kind of your favorite time to be doing this sort of work? I, I love it. I, I mean, yeah. the name of the show really embodies what it is. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think of like, this show is what it is. And that's kind of like me. Like, I am what I am. This show is what it is. And we don't pretend to be more or less. We're a lot. We're a lot to handle <laughs> as it is. Um, it's at this hour. It's You're going to tune in. You're going to hear all, you know, you're going to hear exactly what's happening in this moment and the latest developments on the big stories. And, you know, and hopefully some good conversations and also hopefully holding people accountable. And I mean, I kind of think of, you know, I don't know, I really despise the idea of calling something a personal brand because it sounds created, mm-hmm. but if there was one, it's tough, but fair. Right. I, I welcome, I love having interesting conversations, but I'm tough, but fair on everyone. And I think people would agree with me on that, that they think that that's what, what they get when they come on. And you know, just answer the question and then you won't get mean Kate, you know? (laughs) How do you, how do you prepare for those tough interviews? Is it just about doing as much research as humanly possible about what your guest is going to say? It's a, it's a lot of research about what guests have said in the past. I I watch um, a lot of, a lot of other interviews to see how they engage and how, if they've got like, go to, canned answers that I can anticipate because then you can plan your follows. I often have like a decision tree. It's you, you should, the, the, the way I write it down is kind of fun. Like if they go here, I want to go here. If they go there, then I'll, then I'll go there. Right. Um, so it's, it, it creates a lot of fun, but, and then, you know, what inevitably happens, the best interviews are, I hear something at the very beginning and I stick with it like a dog with a bone. And then it's just this, and then it's just like the same question until they answer it. So then I, th- again, throw out the rundown, throw out all the questions I planned. Right. And then it's just, it's just a conversation, a real conversation, sometimes, you know, tougher than others, but that's, I'm always, the key is, is I mean, this sounds so obvious, but I think bears repeating is it's really important to listen what people are saying to you mm. when you're interviewing them, not thinking of where am I going next necessarily. 
Right, not thinking, okay, what was my next question? Thinking, okay, what is this person saying and how can I follow up on it and get more information out of them? Yeah, and like before those interviews, I will, like I have a conversation with my producers, which is give me the absolute minimum time cues so I can really be in the moment listening to them rather than like, you got five minutes, you got four right. minutes, you got three minutes, you know, whatever. Um, so they'll, they'll just, it's really nice because they will just completely stay out of my ear and they'll be like, you got two minutes. It'll be like the only cue they'll give me. What, what's, um, your, what's, sorry, what's your position on, uh, you know, because there was a lot of, there was a chat a lot about this last year when uh, a lot of anchors were talking about whether or not they would interview, you know, election deniers, whether there, if there was a Republican who said that they would, they did not believe that that Biden won the election legitimately, that they would not have them on air. What was your, what's your position on that? Do you think it's important to interview people, people that may deny the election to sort of get their side of things or is it not even worth doing? I think, look, I, I think it is important to have differing viewpoints. Follow me here. Don't, right. don't cut this sound by follow me. <laughs> um, I think it's important to have, it's very important to have differing views. Um, I am one person on one person of many on this network that welcomes it, listens to it, and is happy to be again tough but fair um, throughout a discussion of differing viewpoints. Not that it's my viewpoint, but just offering up differing viewpoints. Okay, there is only one side of election denying, which is it is wrong. So if there's a bias that any of us should have, it is a bias towards truth. So if someone who has denied that the election deni- has denied the election wants to come on, um, and I will only put them on if the purpose of the interview is to true is to stay only on that topic, because I don't, I really don't think unless we agree on a common set of facts on something as basic as this, where does the discussion go from there? I I, I don't I do not see it. Right. And I, I'm 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 open to hearing someone try to argue with me otherwise. But like the more out of control the world feels, which this part feels really out of control when democracy is being questioned, elections are being denied, when facts are facts are facts. Like that's the time where good journalists can stand up. And it's not like taking a stand, really. It's just doing our jobs, which is this is fact. You're denying fact. We can have a five-minute interview of us going round and round on this, but at the end, maybe people have learned something. I don't know. So I guess I'm a I'm a yes and a no <laughs> on that, um, if you will. Um, but if we had to if we had to set a standard, then you tell me you accept the election result and it was fair, and then you can come on the show. Right. Looking forward towards uh, 2024, it seems almost certain that we're going to get another Donald Trump bid for the presidency. Do you think that, are you thinking about how you are going to be covering that as a journalist? Because I know that there, you know, there's always postmortems and there was a particularly extensive postmortem after 2016 about how the media covered Trump and about, you know, not giving him sort of needless platform. Is, is looking towards 2024, is that something that you're trying to, you're, you're already reckoning with how you're going to be covering Trump and maybe other politicians like him? I think every journalist who covered the, uh, covered 2016, there was a lot that was learned and you can see it already in how we all cover, um, 
the former president now. Um, there's a lot that has been learned in I'm just gonna, like the six years that that we've been covering him as extensively as we have, which is his use of the media, his approach with the media, his attempts to control the narrative and conversations through the media. And um, I think for sure there have already been changes to how all, not all, most of us cover the former president. Um, so yeah, going into 2024, I think it will be, if he runs, it will be very different. You still have to cover him, but you don't have to, for example, you don't have to read every tweet in full if right. the tweet talks about a hoax of an election. Do you know what I mean? Like there's, you can have more editorial control over, again, focusing on truth and fact. And then if he wants, if, if he's talking policy, great. We have a new candidate talking policy. Let's put it on TV. Mm. So yeah, lessons have been learned and I'm already applying them now. CNN has gone through a lot of change in the last few months. It, it notably has a new president in Chris Licht. And you, you noted that your idea for what you would want the journalism you do to be to be tough but fair. And uh, this may not be news to you, but I think you, you already have that reputation amongst your audience. I've even spoken to competitors who of yours who have said the same thing about you. Do you like Chris's vision for the network, which, you know, according to her reporting and some of the public comments he's made, is to be a little bit less strident and perhaps less ideological than it was during the Jeff Zucker days. I think his focus that what I've appreciated about what Chris has asked <clears throat> publicly and privately for everyone to focus on is stick to the news. And I like that. Hmm. I, I also appreciate that he's ex like, he has a real excitement about CNN's future um, that I also really appreciate. Um, look, under Jeff Zucker, my style was also appreciated. So I can't say it's going, you know, I, it's, I've been fortunate enough to have bosses that just look at the opportunities I've gotten. I mean, yes, roads are windy and there's a circuitous path to success, but I've had multiple bosses who have appreciated my, my style. Um, does it always get you viral moments? No, but are we, is that what we're here for? I'm sorry, I'm not. So that's a long way of saying, I like, I like what Chris is laying out for his vision, which is stick to the news. It's something that I think I like doing. Um, and I hope the audience likes it too. You know, I, I think that's, I appreciate his vision. Um, and so to me, it's just push, push harder and keep, and keep doing it. I hope that doesn't come across as like, now I'm just going to lay back and take a vacation because <laughs> I've got this, which no, we've got a lot of work to do. And right. it's, a, it's, it's our job every day to, to, to do good journalism. It sounds so basic. I'm like tripping over myself even saying it, but the, you have to work at it. You can't be, you can't be, you can't just read tweets. You can't just look for fights. And I agree. You shouldn't have people on if it's going to be a condescending interview because they are guests on your show. It can get there. I mean, I've had an, I've had a many, a combative interview in my day, but I contend I didn't want it to start that way. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you make of that 
complaint that during the Trump years, CNN became the voice of the opposition, whether inadvertently or de- de- deliberately? So this is one of those, I, this gets back to the hunting buddies in Ohio. Um, my dad's hunting buddies, actually, because there was a really key moment for me when I was back. Um, so I'm, I, I duck hunt with my father. I'm one of four girls. I was the one who drew the, I say, the awesome straw to be his hunting buddy. My sisters might feel differently. Um, and so this is part of how I grew up. And this is part of just my life. So we, we hunt a lot, duck hunt a lot together. And uh, I had a conversation with one of these hunting buddies and one of his friends. And they said, they said something about, I can't remember if it was like communist CNN or Clinton news network or something. There was some branding talking point that he threw at me. um, And also some commentary about how we cover Donald Trump. And I said, one quick question have you ever watched my show? And he said, no, why would I do that? I said, well, then what are you talking about? And it really kind of crystallized to me. My whole view on this was, I just have this innate, I have this frustration when people talk about the media and like all of CNN, because if you watch my show, that's not what that's not what I was doing in 2016 necessarily, right? And it wasn't what I was doing in 2020. Um, so I always say when people to that, you know, when, when that inevitably, if someone comes to me and, and talks about like what they view or have seen, what they believe is like the leftward tilt of CNN, I say the same thing now. I just say, have you ever watched my show? Right. Like, please watch and then let's talk. If you think that's, if you have the same view afterward, then let's have a real discussion. But I hope and think you might not feel that way if you are open-minded and you actually, you know, open your ears and listen. So I, that's, that's how I, it's, it's tough because yes. And there's a difference as you know, Aiden, between prime time and late night on every right. network versus 11 AM hmm. different roles, different time slots, different mandates. Hmm. And so, you know, we're not going at the same thing. We don't have, we have different approaches and I think you can have, you can have that variety on any network if people just understand like the delineation a little bit more versus between opinionators and news anchors. A lot of CNN staffers were pretty upset when Jeff Zucker, uh, who was the longtime president of CNN, was ousted. You worked pretty closely with him. Did his departure upset you? It was a really difficult time. Um, I don't know if you were watching that day, but I was the person who had to report his departure. Um, oh, right. at the top I of, read that recently in the morning. Yeah, at the right. top of at the top of I think I was in my A block in the first I, I was in a you know what I was? I was in a soundbite in the A in the A block of my show and a Jeff Zucker email popped up and if I have a second I'm going to try to read it in case it's you know air critical. Yeah. And it was it was his it was his letter. And I in the I think I had like another soundbite and I said very quickly to the control room I was like Javi look at your email what are we going to do? <laughs> and because I quickly went from wow this is pretty you know this is earth-shaking as someone who works as someone who's worked so closely with him but also oh my god, we need to report this. 
this is right. news. Right. Um, that doesn't often happen in like quite a quick succession and like kind of hit you in the face in that way. Um, it was an, it was an unusual day, but in the, in the commercial break, we decided there, there was kind of a discussion about how, how to do it and what do we do? And I said the same thing. Um, I said, you know what Jeff would say right now? Jeff would say, do the news. And honestly, Chris would say the same thing, do the news. Right. Um, and so that's what we said. I said, we're going to, we're going to get on, we're going to report it as a straight story and we're going to move on. It was a really, it was a really, I don't know. It was a strange moment. It was kind of one of those surreal moments where I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> Dive breaking right in. news, of, breaking news of a special sort. Um, yeah. a surprising sort. Um, but it was a hard time. Uh, it was a difficult time. It was a, it was a, it was a painful time. I mean, we've Jeff and I, he gave me a ton of opportunities. Um, and he worked with me a long time and I work, you know, I worked for him a long time, but I know he's doing really well. Um, and no matter what, you know, I've still, I've still just got to do my job. So that was kind of the message after the show when it felt kind of uncertain, you know, it felt like, what does this mean for, you know, the network for the CNN? What is it? What is that? What does this do all very suddenly? And I remember saying like, we do the news, just like, let's put our heads down. Let's work. A lot of this is happening way above our pay grade, way above anything we have any influence over. So we need to just put our heads down and focus. And that was, that's been my message since. How, you know, you, you've been at CNN for, for 15 years now. How I has... feel like every time you say it, I don't know how to feel about that. It's a very strange thing. I don't, I don't know if you had said like 10 or 20, I feel differently. Feels... I just need to note that. 15 is, you know, it's a decade and a half. It's a substantial number, but uh, <laughs> how substantial. <laughs> how has television news changed? I know this is, a, forgive me for the incredibly broad question, but how has it changed in those years, those 15 years since you joined CNN? I would say that the biggest change and the, big, the biggest influence of change, um, there have been a couple things. I think Twitter and social media, Twitter specifically, but social media has really changed and impacted the news business. Hmm. It's on one hand, you have like a running commentary of people's thoughts that can be very helpful for interview prep. Like, you know, a lot of the thoughts of the people we cover, you know, and it can be very helpful on the other side. It can, it can, it can feel incredibly reactionary and kind of knee jerk and people more chasing tweets than they are chasing full stories and full discussion. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword. It's a good and a bad, but it has definitely made the news cycle, you know, it was, what is it? We used to call it a 24 hour news cycle and now it's a five minute news cycle, right? you know, cause it's, it's, you know, and that nothing encapsulates that more than, Donald Trump's presidency, like those four years of every morning I woke up and the first thing I looked was for the latest Donald Trump tweet alert, because that would drive often what we were to, what we, because he was the president had to talk about that day. And it wasn't, you know, so it became, it's a hard thing, but also just how much, how many other, how many other places you can put reporting now? Like there's so many other places from, you know, from podcasts, from from uh, newsletters and news feeds and everything like that, there's so many other places to put great reporting 
there's all, I guess that's now put that back on like the great things that have changed um, since I started, which is there's a million other places you can put great reporting, million other places where you can have great discussions rather than it being limited to a couple, you know, a couple cable networks and three and, and three uh, and three legacy networks. Right. So it's, it's, it's all the things, right. It's, but it is definitely ever evolving. Um, and the moment I say something like, I don't know how to use this platform on, what is this social media thing? I was like, Oh no, lady, <laughs> you've missed it. We are in trouble. TikTok. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What's that thing? And why does it not have any C's involved? Yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> it's incredibly overwhelming, but uh, <laughs> so you've, you've done some, some incredible reporting, both domestically, you know, including from covering elections to really major stories and abroad, you know, you've, uh, reported on war in the Middle East. Do you have one story that you are most proud of? It really is hard to say. Um, there are more. It's more like memorable moments, not story. I guess it, 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 it fits into a story because it, this might feel unsatisfying to anybody listening because everyone. I one question that I often, that people often get asked is like, what was your, what's your favorite interview? Yeah. Or what's the next interview you want to have? And while sitting down and interviewing a president is a, um, a, a, a great thing, an adrenaline rush, an important thing, and always an honor, because you know, it is the president of the United States when you have those opportunities, right. that definitely is not does not end up in like my favorite things list of moments because the favorite interviews are often sadly very tragic moments in people's lives mm -hmm. where every regular people's lives where they have the capacity to open up to me and tell me their story and tell me and, and tell me about what's happening in their lives which is the most so the favorite story it's hard to put the word favorite on it because it often is linked with tragedy, right. but the most impactful things that stick with me are these meeting these, meeting these regular people in the most extraordinary moment of their lives, often in tragedy where they allow me in to tell me their story, open themselves up, open up their homes um, uh, and allow me to tell their story. Like the, some of the parents of the Newtown massacre will always stick with me in going up and knocking on their doors and them being kind enough to want to speak with me after we've had a long conversation about, you know, what, what their children are going through. I mean, it's just the capacity to open yourself up to a get, you know, it's a, it's an honor, right. That they trust me enough to tell, allow me to tell their story. I am always amazed and so thankful that this is part of my job, which is just, it's just an amazing thing that you can, you can dip into people's lives in a way that they trust you to tell their story because that's the, the most amazing stories out there are, are regular, the extraordinary things that happen to regular everyday people all the time. And we don't, you know, we, with, li with limited success sometimes, um, keep our focus on that rather than national political debates, if you will. But the uh, the um, ability to do that those are the moments that are just amazing i mean in 2020 i did a series and it even works in the political realm in 2020 i did a series on 
um, Jeff told me to go out and do, a, just take a, take on a project for the month of October. So I did. And I did a series, a three-part series on women voters. And we found these remarkable women um, throughout the country. But there was, a, we did one in Pennsylvania where it was these women voters, all of them had voted for Trump in 2016. And then we were talking to them why they were deciding to vote for Joe Biden in 2020. And they were so scared to open up about it because they were nervous what it meant for their families and their communities and themselves. And they, I mean, it was, but it was so amazing to tell their story. I, I was very proud of that story too, but um, because it, it really, I worked with the most amazing producer and photographer and they just did such a beautiful job. But it's those kind of things, those stories of just like people letting me in that you, you know people are going to stick around to see that whole story. Yeah. It's not just another debate. It's not just even, I mean, I'm not trying to diminish a president, but it's not just like talking to a president. It's like, it's every pe- everyday people with crazy, wild, amazing things, and amazing stories that those are my favorite stories, hands down, any day of the week. Well, Kate Baldwin, uh, I could speak with you for hours, but I'm going to let you go. I oh my God, I can't believe we're done talking. <laughs> I and I was nervous we weren't going to have enough things to talk about. And I think I likely talked too much. I'm sorry. No, please. That is the point of this interview. It's for you to talk as much as possible. So uh, thank you so much, <laughs> Kate. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Interview. Please subscribe to The Interview on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And check out coverage of my conversation with Kate Baldwin on Mediaite.com. Thank you.